You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. If you'll turn with me to Psalm chapter 81. Psalm 81 is where we're going to be at. And once you find your place, if you're willing and able to, would you stand out of respect for the reading of God's Word? And we'll read Psalm 81 and dive right into the message. The Bible says, Sing aloud unto God our strength. Make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. Take a psalm and bring hither the temporal, the pleasant harp with the psaltery. Blow up the trumpet in the new moon in the time appointed and on our solemn feast day. This was a statute for Israel and a law of God of Jacob. This he ordained in Joseph for a testimony when he went out through the land of Egypt, where I heard a language that I understood not. I removed his shoulder from the burden, and his hands were delivered from the pots. And thou callest in trouble, and I delivered thee. I answered thee in the secret place of thunder. I proved these at the waters of Mirabah, Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will testify unto thee, O Israel, if thou wilt hearken unto me, there shall no strange God be in thee, neither shalt thou worship any strange God. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lusts, and they walked in their own counsels. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. I should, soon, excuse me, I should have soon subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto him, but their time should have endured forever. He should have fed them also with the finest of wheat, and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this evening. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity where we have to gather together and open your word and, and to preach it. Lord, I pray that uh, we would be open and receptive to your word tonight, and I pray we make any necessary changes that need to be made. I pray that you would use me, speak through me, and I ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So the writer of this psalm is Asaph, and it's broken down into two main sections. The first part is Asaph speaking and assembling the people together, and the second part is God speaking specifically to the children of Israel. Uh, the setting would be the children of Israel. They're coming together to worship the Lord corporately for a feast. Uh, this feast would either be the Feast of the Tabernacles or the Passover. It doesn't directly say in our text, and it doesn't appear commentators want to agree which feast uh, it actually is. I personally tend to believe it's the Feast of the Tabernacles, but if you want to argue with me that it's the Passover, that's perfectly fine. We can argue about it later. But what I do know is that every biblical holiday given to the Jewish people has three specific aspects to it. Israel was to observe the holiday in the present in order to remember something that God has done in the past while looking forward to some future prophetic purpose within each festival. This is true of the Passover, this is true of the Feast of the Tabernacles, and any other feast. The Passover feast was a feast to remember the Exodus and how God mightily brought the children out of Egyptian bondage. Uh, but during the Feast of the Tabernacle, the Jewish people would gather together in Jerusalem not only to remember God's provision for them in the wilderness, but also to look forward to the promise of the coming Messiah. And this psalm is constructed in that very format. It recognizes God in the present. It reminds us of what He has done in the past and what He will accomplish in the future. It's kind of like a year-end service, so to speak. 
you, you recognize God in the present, what He's doing currently, and we, we reflect on all of 2019, and we're even reflecting on the decade. We're looking at what God has done in the past. But in one week on Vision Night, you're going to be looking forward to what God is going to do in the future here at Victory Baptist Church. And so I want to look more closely at that tonight. But the feast time was supposed to be a time of rejoicing. It was supposed to be a joyous occasion, but this song only starts off joyful. The tone in it shifts about halfway through. So the question arises, why would Asaph write a psalm that's supposed to be joyous, but it focuses on the dismal record of disobedience by God's people? The point that God is trying to get across through Asaph is that it is possible for God's people to go through the motions of religion outwardly and yet have hearts that are stubborn, self-willed, and disobedient to the Lord. The psalmist here is saying, yes, come rejoice. Come celebrate the feast. But in your rejoicing, remember the past. Think about what could have been if only God's people had obeyed. And let that remembrance strike a solemn note in your rejoicing so that you do not repeat their same mistakes. So as we examine this psalm, let it be a word of caution to us that it is possible for any of us to be on, in church on the final Sunday of 2019. And we can go to church and we can sing praises to God and go through all the motions of religion outwardly and yet be living in disobedience to our God. I want us to grasp the truth tonight that we can look good outwardly. We can have our nice suits, our nice ties that came all the way from South Korea, but, but really be living in disobedience to God. The theme of the psalm, it revolves around the idea of true, genuine worship. And this evening, very briefly, I want us to look at three aspects of worship. Number one, true worship involves praising God's name. Look with me at verses 1-5 through five again. It says, Sing aloud unto God our strength. Make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. Take a psalm and bring hither the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the psaltery. Blow up the trumpet in the new moon in the time appointed on our solemn feast day. For this was a statute for Israel and the law of God of Jacob. This he ordained in Joseph for a testimony when he went through the land of Egypt where I heard a language that I understood not. So what, what is praise? Praise defined would be the expression of approval or admiration for someone or something. So the word praise, it would not be a word I use a lot, but the idea of praise is a very common part of our everyday life, and hopefully it would be a part of yours as well. But we praise all sorts of things. For me, uh, I like to praise my daughters. I praise my kids when they do a good job. Like, good job, Madison. Good job, Caroline. Way, way to do that. Uh, we praise our dogs for all sorts of things when they obey. Like My dog is, I don't really know what he is. He's, he's a mutt. I think he's part wiener dog and part terrier. So he destroys a lot of things and he gets on our nerves. But he loves our kids and that's his saving grace. Uh, but but he's, he's just this little guy and his name's Moose. And, and everybody just thinks he's this ginormous dog. We actually named him after uh, the third baseman for the Kansas City Royals, was third baseman, now he plays for the Cincinnati Reds, Mike Musakis. So, so we named him Moose, but we'll tell him, you know, if you sit down, you know, we'll give you a treat, good boy, we praise him. Uh, teachers, they praise their students in school, they say, good job on that paper, great job on that homework, or whatever that assignment was. Uh, we like to praise our sports teams, I don't have a lot to praise 
about uh, tonight. We had a great season, but it ended, it ended last night. It's hard to compete against two different teams. It's hard to beat Clemson and the referees. And, all, and, and before you Tar Heel fans start complaining, like it's always the refs when you lose. And so I, but we like to praise our sports teams or our favorite player. If you want to talk about, about basketball, Michael Jordan is the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. End of discussion. All right, so we, we praise in all sorts of situations. We are expressing our approval in those situations. And when we praise God, we are expressing our admiration of Him. As this psalm starts out, we can see the children of Israel praising God through music. Asaph, he assembles the singers together and he tells them to really sing out uh, to God with passion. He says, make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. He then tells all the string instrumentalists, he tells Brother George to get into his place and the, the trumpeters to begin to play to bring in the feast. And there's clear direction by Asaph as they begin to worship God. And this is one of the ways that we worship God in our services. It's through songs and special musics, the, the choirs, the specials, the offertories. All of these things begin to prepare our hearts for the message, for the preaching. The invitationals, all these, they prepare our hearts to worship God. Before I started preaching tonight, what did we do? We started off with worship. We worship so that God can speak to us. The worship should excite us about our relationship with God. It should prepare us to get something from His Word. And we should be happy in our worship of God. It shouldn't be out of drudgery. It shouldn't be out of necessity. But you worship God because you love God. And that you are happy that He saved your soul and that He is worthy of your praise. And sometimes we sing these awesome, powerful hymns and we don't feel the weight of them. We don't really think about the words that we're singing. We sing these songs and we're lacking passion. Songs like, praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. What's the next line? For our sins, He suffered and bled and died. He, our rock, our hope of eternal salvation, hail Him, hail Him, Jesus the crucified. Goes on to say, sound His praises. Jesus who bore our sorrows, love unbounded, wonderful, deep and strong. Praise Him, praise Him. Tell of His excellent greatness. Praise Him, praise Him ever in joyful song. So we should sing loud. We should make a joyful noise. A happy noise. It doesn't have to be an on-key noise. Loud and joyful is the key. And when we sing with passion, we are observing God in the present. It's worshiping Him now. And for those of you who want to hear me sing, you can go look at the live stream at First Baptist Church of Long Beach and you can see me sing every single offertory. Or not offertory, invitation. And so I, I tell you that, maybe next year, Pastor Kay, if you sing with me, I'll get up here with you. But it's worshiping God in the present. And the shift of this passage begins at verse 6. It goes from Asaph assembling the people together, speaking to the children of, uh, to, to the children of Israel, but now God is speaking. And it's all about what He has done for them in the past. It's a time of reflecting on God's power and goodness. Look with me at verses 6-10. through 10. God now speaking. I removed His shoulder from the burden. His hands were delivered from the pots. Thou callest in trouble, and I delivered thee. I answered thee in the secret place of thunder. I proved thee at the waters of Mirabah, Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will testify unto thee. O Israel, if thou wilt hearken unto me, there shall no strange God be in thee, neither shalt thou worship any strange God. 
I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. It's a good thing to be reminded of the great things that God has done in our lives. Whether that be on reflecting when God saved you or when God brought you and delivered you out of some certain sin or how He's blessed you specifically. It's good to reflect at the end of 2019 on what God has done this past year. We got to enjoy uh, that special video just reflecting on all the awesome events that y'all had this past year. Y'all do a lot. Y'all do a lot of fun things. Y'all do a lot of spiritual things. It's great. And it's good to reflect on all of those. It's good to reflect on the things that have happened the last decade. Uh, to make some of you feel old tonight, 10 years ago, I would have been a senior in high school. When the decade started, I would have been in my senior year at Northeast Academy. And now, now I'm 28 and I'm serving at First Baptist Church of Long Beach and I have a wife and I have two kids. That should make you feel old. <laughs> but it's good to reflect and be reminded of what God has done in and through our lives. So how did God work in your heart and life this past year? I challenge you to go home and think about that question and examine your life. How has God blessed me? How has God worked in my life this year? It's a good thing to reflect and remember and rejoice on our own accord without being told to do so. And in our text, God is the one calling on the children of Israel to reflect on what He has done for them. Not Asaph. God's saying, think about what I did for you. Frequently, the Lord reminded His people of His miraculous deliverance from Egypt. That was all God. The children of Israel could take absolutely no credit for what the Lord did. And here God says, when you were in Egypt, you called out to me in your distress and in your difficult time, I answered you. I delivered you. I took you out of your bondage. I gave you new life. I took the bricks. I took the brick making baskets off of your back. That's what he says in verse number six. And God decides that he's going to give them a test later to see if they would really trust him. And after they had witnessed the 10 plagues, think about what everything that the children of Israel had seen. They saw the Nile River turn to blood. They saw all the locusts. They saw the frogs. They saw the boils, the hail, the pestilence, the lice, the flies. They saw the darkness over all Egypt. And they saw that the lights were still on in Goshen. And they heard the mourning of those that had lost their firstborn in Egypt. They had, they had witnessed all of that. They had witnessed the parting of the Red Sea. They had witnessed the bitter waters being turned sweet. They arrive at Rephidim and there's no water and they begin to get upset at Moses and they said, you only brought us out into Egypt to kill us. Just time out for a second. Like, what is your problem? Think about everything that God has done and where you're at now. You don't have any water. You're like, okay, well, God did all of that to bring us out here to kill us. And the children of Israel were displaying that they really didn't trust God. But God proved them by giving them water out of the rock. Exodus 17, verse 7 says, And Moses called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And God is saying, I showed up there. I proved myself to you over and over and over again. And I have proved that I love you. I have proved that I have cared for you. And I have proved that I want what's best for you. He goes on to let them know that he was not going to tolerate them worshiping any idols in verses 8 and 9 of Exodus 17. He's already expressed that in the giving of the Ten Commandments. And I think it's interesting to note that before God gave the Ten Commandments, he reminded the children of Israel who it was that brought them out of the land of Egypt. If you've got your Bibles open tonight, flip with me back to Exodus chapter number 20 real quick. 
Exodus chapter 20, verse number 1. It says, And God spake all these words, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. But hey, it wasn't anybody else that delivered you from Egypt. I want you to know that it was me, and it was all me, and you will have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. I also find it interesting that in Deuteronomy chapter number 4, verses 15 through 20, God is explaining a little bit more about the graven images, and what does He do? He reminds them of Egypt again. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse number 15. It says, take ye, take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves, for ye saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spoke unto thee in Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image in the similitude of any figure, in the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any beast. And look, jump down to verse 20. It says, But the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of inheritance as ye are this day. It's almost like the children of Israel are very forgetful. How can they forget such simple, basic truths? Don't follow after any strange gods and don't worship them. Come on, come on, Israel, it's not that difficult. And God has to tell them, no strange God has ever rescued you. Psalm 81, verse 10, our text. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. He's saying it's, it's no strange God. But the children of Israel sound a lot like us at times. And I think at times we can be pretty forgetful. You see, God, He claims first place in our hearts. First place belongs to Him. And when you consider who He is and how magnificent He is, don't you think He deserves that place? Putting anything before God is just foolish. Think of the world in which we live in today that has countless millions of idols and gods. Even in churches. The Catholic Church has statues of the Virgin Mary and worship is given to saints and angels. The eastern part of the world has all sorts of idols from, from Buddha all the way down to different animals. It, it's hard to believe this. Me and, my, me and my wife in September, we were able to, to go to Israel. And uh, I, was, I saw this firsthand at all the religious sites that we went to. You're going to see all these places where Jesus performed miracles or places where He was at. And, and basically, it's just shrines built to those monuments. You have people kissing the rock that they think He sat on when He preached on the Sermon on the Mount. And they're worshiping that location and they're forgetting that you should be worshiping the person that was there. We saw it firsthand at the altars that Jeroboam built for the two golden calves. The second commandment clearly forbids the worshiping of any image, bowing down to one or the very making of one. This is absolute. God will not tolerate anything that comes between Him and His child. All sorts of things can be set up as idols inside of our hearts that, that aren't graven images, that aren't statutes. It can be a hobby, a sport, a success, a relationship. We all have things that come between us and God, and when they do, we should be quick to ask forgiveness and take the necessary steps not to let that thing hinder our relationship with God again. We as Christians should put a high importance on obeying God's Word. Look with me at verses 11-16. through 16. But my people would not hearken to my voice. 
and Israel would none of me. It's a, it's a very solemn tone at this point. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust. And they walked in their own counsel. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me and Israel had walked in my ways. I should soon have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto Him, but their time should have endured forever. But He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat. With honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. The final six verses of Psalm 81 are not encouraging. It's more of a reminder that life would be much better if we followed God's words and commands the first time. It's important to know that worship, obedience, and service, they all go together. Deuteronomy 6, verse 13 says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve Him and shalt swear by His name. Jesus, He quotes this verse during the 40 days in the wilderness where Satan tries to tempt Him. Matthew 4.10, Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. It's very clear that we are to serve God, and by obeying God, we are worshiping God. The children of Israel really dropped the ball on this idea because they ignored God's voice. Look at verse number 11. But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. Think back with me to the exodus of Egypt. Just think about how amazing that was. They, they, they saw all the plagues we had mentioned. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. They had seen God uh, give them water. They had seen Him uh, satisfy them uh, with manna and quail. But they, they didn't obey God's voice. And because, out of, because of their disobedience, God had to punish all the Israelites 20 years and older. Think about it. They had seen all these miracles, but yet they did not display a total dependence upon God. And because of their disobedience, God says, well, everybody 20 years and older, they're not going to get to see the promised land. And you can go read that in Numbers chapter 14 when you get home. And you would think that this would be a lesson that Israel would never forget. But this attitude of spiritual deafness and stubbornness persisted even into the entrance of the promised land. This had been a common theme for the children of Israel, that they would just do their own thing. Psalm 78, verse 10, it says, They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in His law. Psalm 78, 17, And they sinned yet more against Him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. Psalm 78, verse 32, For all this they sinned still and believed not His wondrous works. Psalm 78, verse 40, How oft did they provoke Him in the wilderness and grieve Him in the desert? Psalm 78, verse 56, Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High God and kept not His testimonies. They just could not stop living for themselves. And, and when you start, you go through this process of constantly living for yourself and ignoring God's voice, eventually God says, okay, have it your way then. And God gives them over and they do what they want to do. And that's what happens in verse 12. And so, so I gave them up into their own heart's lust and they walked in their own counsels. And the greatest judgment that God can send is to let His people have their own way. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 28. The worst judgment that God can send is to let you have your own way. When God steps back and says, you've rejected me and you have ignored me long enough, and then He lets you go on thinking your way is best. They had gone deaf to the words of God, so Israel was delivered to judgment. And all throughout the Old Testament, you will find the children of Israel disobeying God, God sending judgment. They repent, get right, 
and repeat. They disobey God. God sends judgment. They repent, get right, repeat. And sometimes God allows us to learn the lessons of our own foolishness by bitter experience. But that is not what God wants for His child. That is not what God wants for His child. God wishes that His children would listen to Him. Verse number 13. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me and Israel had walked in my ways. If you notice verse 13, it's a little different than the rest of the verses because it ends with an exclamation point. It's being exclaimed. It's being emphasized. It's God with a broken heart out of love saying, I wish my child would listen to me. I wish that my child would follow after me. And when I read this verse, I can't help but put my name there and say, how many times has God said, I wish Michael would just listen to me? This verse can be used as a prayer for a wayward individual. Oh, that my friend, my son, my daughter would hearken unto God and that my friend, my son, my daughter would walk in his ways. In verse 14, God is saying, if they had listened to me, I would have overcome their enemies. I would have brought them under control. I would have brought judgment upon them. Had the children of Israel actually obeyed God, the Lord would have kept his promises and his covenant and blessed them with protection and with provision. Deuteronomy 28.15 says, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe, to do all His commandments and His statutes which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. In the next several verses, God goes on to list specific, uh, specific curses. In Leviticus 26, verses 17 and 18, it says, I will set my face against you, and you shall be slain before your enemies. They that hate you, shall reign over you, and you shall flee when none pursueth you. And if you will not yet for all of this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. He goes on ten verses later to say, and if you will not for all this hearken to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. And I will destroy your high places, cut down your images, and cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. And I will make your cities waste, and bring your sanctuaries unto desolation, and I will not smell the savor of your sweet odors. It's a very strong warning by God, if you ask me. When we disobey the Lord, not only do we feel the pain of His chastening, but we also miss out on all the blessings that He wants to give us. Verse 16, He should have fed them also with the finest of wheat, and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. He says, I would have given you the finest of the wheat. I would have given you the best of the best. God gave them water out of the rock, but He said, I would have given you honey to satisfy you. The Lord just simply wanted to give them the best. It's what God wanted for them, but by abandoning Him, They lost everything. So in conclusion tonight, God is willing to do so much for us. He wants to bless us if we obey. Deuteronomy 5 verse 29 says, Oh, that there was such an heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Deuteronomy 32, 29, Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. 
God's saying, I wish they could see the consequences of their actions. I wish they could see what they're going to miss out on. I wish they could see all of the suffering that that decision is going to cause them. I wish they would consider the latter end. Isaiah 48, verse 18, Oh, that thou hast hearkened to my commandments. Then had thy peace been as a river, and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. If they had just obeyed me, they could have enjoyed a sweet peace like a calm, peaceful river. And you could have enjoyed righteousness, justice, righteous acts as certain and as unending and as reliable as the sea waves are. Matthew 23, verse 37, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, thou killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, and ye would not. God has clearly stated that He wants to take care of us. He wants to bless us. He wants to provide for us. But the question tonight is, will we obey Him? One thing I love about our God is our God not only saves, but He satisfies. He came to give you life and He came to give it to you more abundantly. So as we wrap this up tonight, we need to worship God and we need to praise God. We need to praise Him today Reflect and praise Him for His past accomplishments and praise Him for what He is going to do. God wants to bless each and every one of you tonight. But His holiness demands your obedience. Remember that. God, He wants to bless each and every one of you. He wants to bless you abundantly. But as we go home tonight, and as we reflect on 2019 and look forward to 2020, remember that God's holiness demands your obedience. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.